Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Miss Carmelita Coleman. Miss Carmelita is the executive director of an organization called Say So, which stands for Strong Able Youth Speaking Out, based in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome, Miss Carmelita. I am so glad that you could join our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Wonderful. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I'm very interested in finding out about your organization, Say So. Before we talk about that, though, I'd like to give you an opportunity to share a little bit of information with the listeners about yourself and your background and the journey that you've taken that brought you to where you are today with the Say So organization. Yes. So I do have a social work background. I studied at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and then University of Pittsburgh, but it's University of North Carolina at Charlotte that led me to my career in child welfare. Initially starting out in nursing, was in my senior year and was like, this just doesn't feel right for me. As I was walking across the campus to one of my classes and I saw this sign on campus that said, do you enjoy working with people? Do you have a passion for your community? And I was like, well, yes, I do. So it said, come to this interest meeting. And so I went to the interest meeting in the social work department and heard all about social work and the different levels of social work. And I was like, oh, my goodness, how did I even think I could become a nurse when this fits me to a T? So senior year of grad, supposedly graduating from undergraduate school at UNC Charlotte, I switched my major to social work off of that one interest meeting. And the very next semester where I rolled in class, I had two absolutely amazing professors, Dr. Murphy, who taught about child protective services, and Dr. Andre Stevenson, who talked about community organizing in child welfare. And that was just the perfect marriage and match for me. And so from there, being an undergraduate student at UNC Charlotte, the professor, Dr. Stevenson, had a connection to the University of Pittsburgh. And so they came to UNC Charlotte right when we were getting ready to graduate and was recruiting people to come to Pittsburgh to get their master's. Again, with social work being so aligned with who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing in life, I was like, well, I'll go ahead and get my master's degree. Went to University of Pittsburgh, got my master's degree and came back and at the time was working at Macy's. And I saw this DSS worker come up to the counter and she had this badge on and it was like social work services. And I said, you know, I just got out of grad school and I want to be a social worker. Where do you work at and what are you doing? And so she began to explain to me where she was at, what she was doing. I applied for the job and I wanted to do child protective services so bad because of everything I had learned from Professor Murphy in my undergraduate courses. Went for an interview and they was like, you know, you'll be great, but we feel like we have something that's better aligned with where we see you could go. And so I didn't get that position. And so then The next phone call was with a particular supervisor that says, we think you'll do well on our adolescent unit. We have a unit that specifically works with youth in foster care. Just based off what you said in your interview with the CPS team, we feel like you would be better fit here. 
And so I was initially just connected as an adolescent social worker, again, with the agency that was fortunate enough to really see the value in having social workers that wanted to work with teens, that enjoyed working with older youth, and B, had the skill set to be able to do so. And so me just knowing the importance of being strength-based, trauma-informed, being patient, being resilient. You know, we often hear that term when we think of youth in care, but it definitely applies to social workers as well as a skill that's needed, that I was just intuitive, inclusive, and resourceful. And I said, absolutely. So then being a social worker on the adolescent unit, I began to see that youth in foster care and working with those older teens is exactly where I was supposed to be at. Just having that connection with them and them having a mutual connection with them with me was really important because my focus was on developing relationships with the families and youth and not just on the placements or seeing them as cases, seeing the young people as young people first and not as youth in foster care. Once that relationship began and young people saw that I was someone different, that I was really listening beyond their words and providing them with opportunities that for many of them, that even their own families couldn't provide, that's where the magic began. And that happened at a say-so event. So I was able to take our youth and young people that were in our Lynx Independent Living Program to a say-so event. We both had that aha that foster care is bigger than our city and our county. And like this is literally like a statewide thing. Me and my young people hit the pavement and really started working. That kind of connects me to child welfare and also to say so. But also being an adolescent social worker, I couldn't go home every day and see the needs of youth and young people not having safe and stable places to go. I also became a licensed foster parent. So I served in a dual capacity of being an adolescent social worker, independent living coordinator, but also a therapeutic foster parent only with teenagers in foster care, which fast forward today to 2023, I now have over 25 years of experience in child welfare, specifically working only with the adolescent and young adult population. I've only done teens my entire life foster care experience. So you've mentioned that you took your youth to a say-so event. So say-so is not an organization or program that you started, but it has been around. Do you know how long it has been around? Absolutely. Say-so has been around since 1998. Um, Ah. Yes. So we are definitely celebrating 25 years. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yes. What was the journey that took you to working with Say So as opposed to just attending events? Part of being an adolescent social worker, there are trainings that we have to go through. And so with that, the adult co-founder, because Say So is co-founded by young people and an adult, one of the adult co-founders, Nancy Carter, was teaching an independent living course. And I took that course and I was in the class just taking copious notes about how to work and engage with young people, how to develop and form independent living programs, how to teach and train foster parents, everything she said to a T. And so I stayed in contact with Say So and with Nancy Carter. And so when she 
decided to retire, she reached out to me and said, Miss Carmelita, say so's growing. We're in the process of getting ready to have an executive director position, and I would love to have you come carry this torch with me. And so after having about 15, 20 years in government child welfare, decided to go and work for Say So, which has been, again, a perfect marriage. That's wonderful. So how long have you been working with Say So? So I've been working with Say So since 2018, but I've been involved with them since 2001. So again, very early on. So you took an executive director position, correct? Correct. And you're still in that position? Correct. And so, yes, yeah, Say So, it started out, it originally was named Coffee, which stood for a coalition of friends and families educating everywhere. But then the youth changed the name to Say So because they felt like it was something more representative of who they were. So conversations about Coffee and Say So started even prior to 1998. It actually started in 1997. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this seems like a really nice segue into talking about Say So and what exactly it is that the organization does. Can you please provide an overview of the different services that you provide? Do you provide mentoring, housing support, education support, employment, or all of the above maybe? (laughs) Yes, Say So is really unique in that we say we don't provide direct services in terms of some of the things that you mentioned, such as housing and case management. I'll start by sharing our mission statement, which is the mission of Say So is to work to improve the substitute care system by educating the community, speaking out about needed changes, and providing support to youth who are or have been in substitute care. And we use the term substitute care because that means foster care, kinship care, group homes, mental health placements, even juvenile justice. So if youth have spent any time in out-of-home care or placements, they can be a part of Say So. But would say so our focus is primarily on the foster care and kinship care population. I like that term because when you say foster care, a lot of people don't think about those other situations that young people could be in, like kinship care and so forth. Like I myself was in foster care in group homes, and I ended up living with my grandmother for a while, kinship care. Then I ended up with foster parents who were in-laws of my uncle, not directly related, and I hadn't met them before, but technically kinship care. So a lot of people just don't make that connection. Right. So I, I like that substitute care. So what kinds of things do you do with or for the youth then? So Say So is a youth-led program, and we're a program housed within the Children's Home Society of North Carolina. And we are comprised of youth and young people between ages of 14 to 26. And we provide opportunities of leadership and advocacy. So there's a few tiers of work that we do with the first one being our Young Adult Leadership Council. Again, these are youth and young people between the ages of 14 to 26 who are elected by their peers at a say-so annual conference called Say-So Saturday that helps sets the priority and goals for the Say-So program each and every year. That's the primary focus of our work is really around advocacy, policy, and system change. I would say, for example, this year, 
the priorities that the Young Adult Leadership Council is focused on is normalcy for youth and young people in foster care, ensuring that youth know about their rights in foster care, system accountability, promoting and advocating for standardized guidance and consequences for youth in care, as well as promoting various mental health practices. I see. When you say normalcy, maybe for some listeners who might not know what that means, what are you referring to? That youth in foster care are able to have the same opportunity and experiences as their peers. So it was not until 2018 or 2019, if my mind serves me correctly, that law was passed that youth in foster care are able to get their driver's license, that they could spend a night at a friend's house with prudent parenting permission that they would be able to, you know, get jobs or go hang out at the mall with friends on a weekend. Typically, there was a lot of red tape that youth and young people in care had to go through in order to get permission to do a lot of those normal activities, even playing in sports after school. So now with this Normalcy Act, foster parents, caregivers are able to make prudent parenting decisions to give young people permission to do some of those normal things, which before a lot of young people missed out on opportunities to go to the prom, travel abroad with their foster or host families because it was caught up in asking permission. But now the state has given some leniency to caregivers to say, if you would make this decision responsibly for your own child, you now can make this responsible decision for these youth and young people in your care, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely is. I think that one of the challenges with normalcy is that foster parents aren't necessarily incentivized to provide those normal activities. In fact, there may be a fear of liability if something were to happen during some event or activity that the youth was participating in. What do you think? What are the barriers to normalcy? Well, I just put my foster parent hat back on. I didn't see any barriers during the time because I'm thinking pre-normalcy of the challenges that I went through, again, being a foster parent for only teens and fostering both, you know, young ladies and young men that I was a foster parent for a young man and he just wanted to be able to play sports. And without us having permission and because he was therapeutic, Some of the challenges he and I went through in order for him to be able to play sports was, you know, me having to be at the football games. He wasn't able to ride the bus with the rest of the team. So I would have to drive my car behind the school bus so he could still go out to dinner with the team and me sitting on the opposite side of the restaurant while he, you know, just ate pizza with his friends when he was ready to date. You know, I always had to be at the movie theater or within eye watch length if he wanted to walk around the mall. And that's just not normal. You know, even for your teenagers, you give them a certain level of trust and they have a safety net to be able to be teens. So I didn't look at it as like I needed to be incentivized versus I more so just wanted him to be okay with being able to be a teenager. Did he get into stuff? Yes. Did other regular kids get into stuff every single day? But I was not as much worried about the liability myself as I was wanting him just to have a normal teenage experience or she, because I've had young ladies as well. Right, right. And a lot of foster parents feel that way, I'm sure, and, and do you know as much as they can to help provide that normal life for their foster youth. But unfortunately, a lot of foster parents don't. 
And I think with the foster care system, if they don't incentivize it, which is why I bring that up, or at least provide some kind of level of accountability for providing that type of normalcy for these young people, then unfortunately, it in some cases just doesn't get done. It doesn't get done, such as driver's license and cooking and a lot of the things that young people need in order to just kind of thrive. Exactly. And you know what? To be fair, a lot of parents' parents <laughs> don't provide necessarily all of the teaching and training and normal types of activities that young people need to be adults. So to be fair, it's, you know, other non-fostered peers also struggle. Yeah, we hear those concerns quite often. Again, most of them are around driving or when you're working with a teen around just trying to teach them about how to be fiscally responsible. And, you know, you want to set up a bank account. Their concern is, well, what if they overdraw on this account? Who's going to be responsible? I don't want it coming out of my bank account. And of course, as parents, we don't, but we absolutely need to provide young people with opportunities to learn the importance and value of how to spend and save money. Yeah, right. Well, how many young people participate in your program? You're not a direct service provider, so to speak. So is it statewide? Is it beyond North Carolina? And how do they get connected with you? So we are definitely statewide. We work with all 100 counties in North Carolina. We serve a minimum of 750 youth per year. We have a contract with North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services with the Lynx program to provide educational and life skills training to youth and young people in care. So we work with the counties on providing, again, workshops, leadership, and training and education to young people. Tier one is we have the Young Adult Leadership Council. And then the second part of what we do is hosting events throughout the state. And we also have what are called local chapters. So we have SESO, which is the larger statewide entity, but we also have local chapters, which there are 30 that exist throughout North Carolina, which are smaller subsets of SESO within local counties that help work with youth and young people around advocacy, education, and access to resources as well. Okay. So when you work with them, you have these local chapters. Are you having in-person events that these young people come to? Do you have online events that young people attend? How do you have those interactions? We have seven to eight events each year in person. So we have events that are for older youth that are called It's My Transition that focus on young people 16 to 18 that are really focused on the links outcomes. Then we have events for the younger youth called Link Up, which are also one-day in-person conferences to educate young people on resources to help them learn about links, learn about resources available to them, and beginning to look at their educational and employment goals. Versus It's My Transition is really focused on building healthy connection, where we're talking about mental health, sexual health knowing how to apply for, again, college, looking at vocational programs, things of that nature. We also have an event called Page Week, where youth and young people serve as pages for the House, Senate, or either the Governor's Page Program, where that during that week in Raleigh, they are specifically just focused on foster care policy. And so that's actually coming up in October, which 
is Foster Youth Voice Month. We also have a weekend leadership retreat called Say So Survivor, where young people get to come over a course of a weekend and they learn about their resiliency skill. We talk about ACEs, strategic story sharing, and the experiences of team building and just learning how to be one as a community. We also have another program called Team Up, which is teens engaged in aspiring mentorships and uplifting partnerships. And that's a week-long leadership experience for young people who are interested in either entrepreneurship or leadership, where they get to stay for a week and learn about business, entrepreneurship, government. And at the end of that week, they are able to do a business or a career plan And they're given laptops to work on throughout the week. And once they do their presentation and they've successfully completed the components of that program, they get to keep that laptop and they walk away with a business or career plan after completing Team Up. Those are a lot of amazing events that you put on every year. (laughs) Yes, every year. And we also contract with alumni who are ages 18 to 26 and they serve as SESO regional assistants. And those SESO regional assistants help develop youth trainings. They're the ones that travel with us throughout the state to do speaking panels. They serve on different committees throughout the state because, again, SESO is about policy and advocacy. So there are a lot of committees and speaking engagements that SESO alumni are invited to. So we do the initial training and leadership of those. And then the alumni are the ones that are out doing the speaking panels, speaking engagements, and educating and informing the community about SESO and going out talking to young people about their rights and resources. I see. You've got alumni you've mentioned. So what does it take to be an alumni? Do the youth who engage in your activities, do they have to participate in a certain number of these events? Or do they just, if they've attended one event, they're considered an alumni? What are the parameters there? So an alumni is just someone who's 18 or older who has aged out of the foster care system. I see. So you don't mean an alumni from your program? Correct. I see. I see. But are there expectations when youth participate with SESO that if they say, hey, I want to do one of your events, could they just attend one and that's all that they do? Or is there an expectation that they do certain things in order to get maybe a well-rounded experience? I would say it's like 0.1% that they would come one time and not come back to anything else because they enjoy it so much because everything is youth directed and guided. Again, the youth are the ones developing the workshops, they're leading, they do the registration table, they're coming up with the music playlist, they're choosing the food. I mean, so everything is so youth focused that it's really difficult for youth to walk in that space, not feel welcome, not to say, I found my community, not to be educated and informed and say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Back to your question, yes, youth can absolutely come to one event. So they may come to a say-so survivor one time and then may not come to anything else. Because as you know, we have a very transient population. A youth could literally be in care for 30 days and that be their foster care experience and they be connected, you know, back to their family and have come to that one say-so event. But they have the option then to complete a say-so membership on site. So we don't do referrals. We like for youth to opt into our program. 
So once they've come to a say-so event or once they've connected with a say-so young person or alumni and kind of talked about the program and have an understanding of it, then they can choose to become a member. It's not something to where, you know, a social worker can say, hey, I heard about this program. I'm going to do a referral. And then, you know, there's like an intake process. We really like for youth to know about say-so and see what it represents from the lens of the young people. And then they can opt in to being a member, which membership is free. It just gives you access to our newsletters. You get to hear first about our events, which they all love coming to Say So Saturday, which is one of our largest events that I didn't talk about, which is our annual conference, which is where we invite all 100 counties, especially our local chapters, to come together. And each year there's anywhere between three and 500 maybe not 500, I'll say three and 400 youth and social workers come to this annual conference that celebrates the birthday of the organization, but it's also a time for youth who aren't connected or involved in Say So to join and become members. The focus there is on leadership, advocacy, resource development, and that's the only time that young people can run for our Young Adult Leadership Council. So earlier when I said the young people who are on our Young Adult Leadership Council are elected by their peers, It's at the Say So Saturday event to where they run for that Young Adult Leadership Council and they're elected by their peers. Okay. Now, this Leadership Council, are they the ones that are building and running these programs? You're saying your your organization is youth-led. Yes. Is it through this council or are they hired? So the Young Adult Leadership Council are volunteers. Okay. They're the council who's elected at Say So Saturday who sets the goals and the priorities. So they are the ones that are kind of like the governing body. And then the alumni who are 18 and older, who are more than likely in college or working, are the ones to help be the legs of the organization that are helping to carry out the work and the mission of the organization. Because most of the young people on the Young Adult Leadership Council are in school during the day. So it's a little bit more difficult for them to serve on committees or be available for speaking engagements that are during the day versus where our alumni 18 and older who are paid are able to serve in those capacities and represent that youth voice at the table where the goals and values have been set. Ah, okay. Okay. And so just to get a sense of how large that group is, how many alumni generally do you have at a time that are working on the programs and doing that legwork? According to our budget, We're only able to hire seven at a time, but we are fortunate to have independent contractors. And again, with us being statewide, what is fortunate is that we do have our local chapters who are on the ground working with youth and young people each and every day, even though we're in a central part of North Carolina may get a call to the western or the eastern part. We can lean into those local chapters and contract with a young person to do a one-time speaking engagement or to work a booth at a conference or something of that nature. So we have seven that we contractually can afford to pay, but we also have stipend funding within that pot to be able to contract with young people one or two times to help with the work as well. Okay, I see. All of the events that you've mentioned, the opportunities that these young people have through your organization what would you say are the most important skills that they are learning, whether that's physical skills or maybe a more emotional or mental type of skill? What are they learning through these activities that help them 
as they transition into adulthood? They are definitely learning leadership. They are learning about resources. They are learning training. They're learning how to develop workshops. They are learning communication skills. Young people come into Say So very shy and kind of feeling isolated and alone and uncertain. And then for those that stick with the process, because it's one year of serving on the Young Adult Leadership Council, I don't want to say leave, but they are deeply connected and are stronger speakers. With Say So, our program, it is intentionally designed to help mitigate the adverse experiences of young people by helping to build their protective factors through those leadership engagement and developmentally appropriate activities. Can you explain that? Maybe most of our audience knows what protective factors are, but could you explain that a little bit just in case there's anybody listening who's not heard of that? Yeah, so protective factors are resiliency and connectedness and things that are helping to strengthen young people to build their capacities to be able to just thrive as successful individuals. So we are definitely working just to build their capacity to know how to communicate and process and deal with their trauma, not in a clinical capacity, but again, in a very safe and developmentally appropriate way through our activities. They are working through a lot of that stuff to just kind of heal so that they can thrive. So they're building personal skills that will help them in their own lives. They're building leadership and communication skills that will help with employment and the training that you've talked about that will help maybe acquire employment. For example, building programs, training programs, that's a skill that you can actually take into teaching or maybe in companies and doing training. So I think it's a great foundation, a launching pad, if you will, for different directions these young people could take. Especially what it does for them mentally and spiritually. You know, I remember a quote from very early on, a young person says, being a part of Say So made foster care okay for me. I didn't feel as alone. They didn't feel as judged or as invisible. You know, youth in foster care, they want to be seen and heard. And of course, they're adolescents. So being accepted by their peers and those sort of things is really important during that time. So coming into a space like Say So, where there are other youth that are your age that are going through the foster care system, it definitely makes you feel not so alone. And then with everybody just being so welcoming and accepting and youth just being able to just be their genuine, authentic, creative, individual, amazing selves, they really just kind of get into these spaces and thrive and lean on each other in a very healthy, appropriate way because they can be psychologically safe. Right. Absolutely. And you start with young people as young as 14. Yes. Personally, I think that is so helpful because they're starting to heal, you know, at an earlier age than having to get kicked out at 18 and then having to start to heal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like Say So is like the heartbeat of child welfare in North Carolina. We try to be in as many spaces as possible, just talking about Say So because there's no more powerful experience for young people than them to have a sense of community when they are in foster care. That feeling of isolation and alone and is this just happening to me is so very real to young people. 
like I said, they're already dealing with that intersection of developing as an adolescent and trying to discover who they are and then to be in foster care and dealing with trauma. I mean, that is a lot. That is a very heavy lift for a young person. So to come in to say so and find a safe space is like one less burden on their shoulders. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's so important. Those connections and relationships, relationships really are the key factors that help young people succeed beyond foster care. Yes. Learning those life skills, building strong, positive relationships, because we have a tagline with Say So that says, once a part of Say So, you can always come home to Say So. So even Mm -hmm. though on paper we say we serve young people between 14 to 26, there is not a true aging out age on our program. Even our co-founder still comes around to our events and comes back to Say So Saturday every single year. She's involved throughout the year because one of the things that the youth emphasize is that they did not want Say So, a program that helps young people build these strong, lifelong relationships to be another program to where they had to age out. So there's technically no age cap on how long they can come around and connect with their peers, connect with supportive adults, focus on learning about self-sufficiency. Say So provides that stable, supportive, knowledgeable resource that young adults need. So we never want to say that our doors is closed to any young person in foster care. Because sometimes young people struggle well into their later 20s. That's one perspective. But then on the other side, you have young people who, you know, succeed in their minds, you know, whatever success has defined for them. And they want to come back and support other young people. Absolutely. Right. Yes. I mean, that's what science shows, you know, according to adolescent and brain development, the brain is not there until age 26. (laughs) So like you said, if it's not until later on that they're discovering, hey, all these things that I didn't think about originally that I need to learn about or that are important for me to be connected to, I now realize the significance of it, but that door is closed to me. How fair is that for our young people? So try to always have that space for young people to have a place to come and connect with a sense of people that understand and empowers them to find their voice to where they can discover their resiliencies and advocate for the rights of youth and young people in a situation that they just themselves have come out of. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let me ask this since we're talking about older youth and youth coming back. How do you define success for the youth that you work with? I mean, what is it when you look at your organization as well as the youth? How do you know that you've been successful? That is so fluid (laughs) because when I look at Say So, we have what society would deem as successful alumni who are at Yale and is an avid professor and has written many books to where we have alumni who are now working also within Children's Home Society as full-time employees. And we have looked at success as young people who come in shy and withdrawn and saying, I don't want to be able to share my story, who are now like the co-writers of our newsletter that comes out and are sharing ideas on our website. So success can be defined in so many ways when it comes to young people, even from a young person saying, 
I know I need to be involved. I don't know how to. And you say, just start (laughs) with, just start with standing up and being able to say your name or don't stand up and share your name or just give us a head nod. And then the young person (laughs) leading the icebreaker at the next event or willing to co-present at a workshop on a national platform. We just came from a national independent living conference and one of our alumni was there presenting on the importance of financial literacy for youth in foster care. So SESO has some heavyweight alumni, not only throughout North Carolina, but are doing some major, major work throughout the United States. We have one of our alumni leading a national organization called Away Home America that focuses on youth homelessness of youth who are aging out of foster care. So, wow. You know what? I I wish we had another hour to talk. I know we're going to need to wrap things up, though. Before we do, I did want to ask you a question about the foster care system. Where do you think there might be an opportunity or two for the foster care system to improve what they do to help young people who are aging out of foster care be better prepared for adulthood? I'll start by saying in North Carolina, I think our foster care system is setting the trajectory in terms of the way the larger child welfare system should go. And that is investing in the expertise of youth with lived experience by having them be the primary voice at the table. Having youth in spaces such as Say So, where they feel empowered, where their voice is heard, inviting them to be a part of child welfare committees and interact with adults and policymakers that are making decisions, that is amazing. Is your organization unique in this partnership that you have with the state government agency and the work that you're doing statewide? Is that a unique approach, do you think? I think it's a unique approach and say so is unique in the work that we do. From what I know, we're the only organization in the country that does the youth advocacy work and we do the events. And we have the SESO alumni working with the organization, leading the local chapters and the youth events that we do. So most just kind of focus either on advocacy or programming, but we do it all. We provide that holistic programming. And so SESO is unique in that. And so that's why I think a lot of people oftentimes think that we do direct services because we do have that Young Adult Leadership Council and we work so intensely with getting them trained and prepared to be a voice at the table, but we don't do the case management per se. Right. Well, it seems like, I would say so, has been around since 1998, that it's a proven model. And if you're setting the bar for this type of work, this type of support that you give young people in training, that it seems like a no-brainer that other states should look at your model and try to duplicate it, partner with a nonprofit that could take up the mantle. Profit with a nonprofit and partner with a business, even with the great work that we do, of course, we know your services are limited by the financial resources that your organization has. And so even with Say So being a statewide organization and we do contract with the state, there are still gaps and there are opportunities to where we could do a lot more with young people if we had more funding. So even though we do a lot of work, you know, even at this time, our team capacity is limited. And so we would love to have more capacity in terms of staffing and to be able to do more programming. So, yes, partners with states, but also partnering with businesses 
that also could invest. Because again, like you said, there's the education, there's the employment, there's the workforce development piece that's really critical for our young people as well, which kind of leads into the second part of what I would like to see the state do better, not even do better, but you know, focus more on is the life skill training and support, especially yes to young people, but also the training and support to foster parents. You know, I just feel like it's a win-win if the state could support social workers and having a manageable caseload, and it also would benefit the young people and the families. Being able to provide young people just more information around financial literacy and job readiness and educational goals would be really, really important. You find some of that in extended foster care, but I feel like it should start sooner than that. Oh, absolutely. So in North Carolina, we are making great strides in making sure that we are starting at 14 and even on a case-by-case basis for age 13 for those independent living skills because they are so critical. You know, with child welfare, it's always the focus around safety, permanence, and well-being, but we are definitely shifting to also focusing on the well-being of young people, because if they aren't whole mentally, physically, or spiritually, then they're not going to be safe. They're not going to have these permanent connections because everything else is not okay. I almost feel like the future should be added to that list. Yes. There should be four things. So it's the well-being and their future. Yes. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing that. Before we sign off, how can people find Say So online? At www.saysonc.org. NC for North Carolina. NC for North Carolina. Okay. Saysonc.org. Excellent. And can they reach you? If somebody wanted to reach out to you to ask you questions, should they just like go to your contact page? Yes, they can. Okay. okay. Or they can email us at sayso at chsnc.org. CHSNC.org. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And Miss Carmelita, thank you so much for sharing about yourself and your journey and about Say So. I've heard about your organization for quite a long time, but it's the first opportunity I've had to really dig into what it is that you do with youth and for youth. And I really appreciate all of the great work that you're doing there for your young people in North Carolina, especially having come from North Carolina. That's where I went into foster care myself in Western North Carolina, outside of Asheville. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing down there. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much for doing so. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. So just come to our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the podcast link in the menu. Or you can find our podcast pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Just look us up there. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.